0: Another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast presented by Blue Wire Hustle. This will be the last episode before we go on hiatus for a bit for the holiday season. We'll be back right around New Year, so not that long of a hiatus. But I just wanted to put out an episode one before the holidays came around the corner and before the NBA season started. So we're recording right now. I hope you all are having just a splendid holiday season 2020 ending on some bright notes for me personally obviously with blue wire hustle and the box out banner podcast but cyberpunk is out i've been playing that a lot recently i know there is a lot of chicanery going on with the console releases thankfully i have a mega beast of a computer and haven't ran into any of the bugs or graphics issues that have been reported on consoles not trying to do a pc is superior than consoles thing even though at the heart of it i technically am but cyberpunk has been awesome the game is so in depth, I know people are disappointed because the game has been so overhyped for years and it's not what they expected. When a game gets overhyped like that or something gets overhyped or hyped up like that for a long time, it's just bound to not live to your expectations. So of course people let the overhype take control of them and then they come out disappointed and say that it's not a good game. It's a fun game. It's a really good game. It's an immersive game with an immersive environment, which is really what I look for in an RPG game like this, made by the same developers who made The Witcher 3, which is another great game and another game that I need to finish. But that game, you could put hundreds of hours into Witcher 3 and not be done with it unless you blast through the main story quest line, of course. But Cyberpunk is really fun, and it's more like a... It's like a souped-up better version of Borderlands to me, but having fun with that. Also, what's been back in my life the last few weeks is one of my favorite shows, and my favorite and my selection for greatest anime of all time, Attack on Titan, is back. So I've been enjoying that. Watching it with the homies over Discord. You know, Discord has honestly... is I wonder... For how many groups of people Discord has been a lifesaver for? Because I know during this quarantine, when you know you're taking the virus as seriously as possible, and you still need to keep in contact with the people that you know and love, Discord has been fabulous for that. And I've had Discord for years, but you find yourself really, especially this year, using discord a lot to communicate with your friends and so you watch it with the homies over you watch it with the homies over you know the video chat and it's been it's I have been waiting for this show to come back for its final season for those of you that know me I like cartoons anime fictional shows probably prefer them more over live acting television shows even though I like those also but my three shows my three favorite shows I'd probably rank it as Breaking Bad, Boondocks, and Attack on Titan, if you just include all the mediums, but Attack on Titan is my favorite anime of all time. I would recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen it, even if you're not into even if you're not into anime, just as a TV show, I think the writing's master class. Especially after the third season, it just becomes a different show. Don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's just one of those shows where you think that it's one thing, you know, you think the story's going one way and then it just completely flips upside down on its head and it just becomes a completely different and a better story once you fill in all the holes, especially when you go back and rewatch it. It's that type of show. I would just recommend that show to anybody. Game of Thrones is about to get a masterclass on how to land the plane on what has been just a great story with fantastic lore, fantastic characters. I would recommend this to anybody. Like I said, it's in the final season, but it's one of the greatest shows ever. And I would put it up against any live acting television shows, American cartoons, whatever medium you want to choose. It's up there in terms just as a show itself, it is up there with the best of them. And those have, those have been some of the few things that have been happening to close out 2020. And also I can't forget that the NBA season is around the corner. And there was some big news in that department as well with one of the NBA's main stars. Giannis at is officially staying with the Milwaukee bucks. He finally put, ink to paper on a five-year supermax contract worth 220 damn 228 million dollars and it's a obviously it's a big win for bucks fans and you know old school nba fans who like to see quote-unquote the loyal superstar even though that has a lot of that just that that has a lot of connotations and motivations behind that phrase that i don't like at all, basically saying, Oh, if you're in a crappy situation, you should stick it out so that way we can rag you for not winning rings afterwards, aka Kevin Garnett. But the Milwaukee Bucks are actually a solid organization. They have made some blunders, most notably the Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe situation, and now Eric Bledsoe's in New Orleans. But good on them for locking up one of their homegrown superstars. Giannis is a tier one franchise player, obviously back-to-back MVP, MVP and defensive player of the year this past year. It's just a win for the Bucks and it is a win for the NBA because even though I have no problem with players wanting to find better situations for themselves or wanting to team up, I also think that there is something admirable about staying with your franchise for a whole year, especially just Narrative-wise, historically-wise, and I know people don't like to mix in those terms when we talk about basketball, but basketball is one of the few sports where the sport itself lends to artistic storytelling and lends itself to make some type of lore, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. And so I think there's something cool about The NBA superstars staying with their franchise for the, with the franchise that they were selected by for their entire career. Steph Curry, Damian Willard, Giannis, Russell Westbrook for a while until they parted way, until they decided to part ways and they traded Westbrook to Houston. But I think that's good for the league and it's good for the small market team because you could just think, okay, maybe I can grow my superstar here and keep him here now the Bucks need to do whatever they can to make sure that they keep putting the winning team around Giannis but as long as you have Giannis you're always going to be a walking playoff berth it's just how you build the team around Giannis because he does have some glaring flaws in his game that maybe it does limit his ceiling as a primary ball handler in the playoffs I know a lot of smart people have talked about maybe using Giannis more as a screen man and rather than developing a three-point shot like the Bucks have been trying to get him to do the last few years maybe get him a post move because Giannis is huge he can bully he can bully people on the block he can bully his way to the rim he is a very effective post-up player and as a role man he would be a dynamic lob catcher you know he would catch in traffic I just am imagine he'd be super effective as a role man and you could kind of see why the bucks went for not only drew holiday but bogdan bogdanovich and what was an attempt at recruiting a restricted free agent we really don't know what happened there but having somebody like drew holiday who is a better passer than george hill and eric bledsoe although not a top tier passer but a good passer and bogdan bogdanovich who was who is an elite playmaker not an elite play but you close to it he is a damn good playmaker he's better than drew holiday you could see why the bucks went for those two players only ended up getting holiday but the bucks are probably trying to put as much playmaking around Giannis as possible because they realize that Giannis as the primary ball handler in the playoffs has a ceiling especially as you get deeper into the playoffs and you play better defenses but it's absolutely fantastic that the Bucks got to keep their franchise guy. I've been a big Giannis guy. Now, if they could just do something <laughs> about Mike Budenholzer. It, it's funny how I've changed my tune on Mike Budenholzer. Well, I guess you change your opinions as the facts go, right? But when the Bucks mercifully, thankfully fired Jason Kidd before the uh, 2018 season, and the Bucks hired Mike Budenholzer. I remember doing a video on the Sly Hooper YouTube channel when it was when I first started the channel. I predicted that the Bucks would finish seventh in both offensive rating and defensive rating and probably top three in pace just because Mike Budenholzer was going to change the whole system around Giannis. Now it turns out the Bucks might just need to change to head coaches again because I'm telling you after these last two playoffs, I am out on Bud as a head coach. He's always going to be a good regular season head coach. He's always going to put in a system that pretends to regular season winning and putting players who might not necessarily play in the playoffs in the best chances to win. So that accumulates more wins in the regular season just by itself right there. But in the playoffs, he can adjust. He likes to play deep rotations. Just, I still can't get over the fact that Giannis registered actual playoff games where he was under 40 minutes like that's just insane to me but maybe as the Bucks continue to try and find ways to add more depth around Giannis and better players maybe it shortens the rotation naturally so Bud can play his best players in the playoffs but as much as I want to believe in the Bucs as them being the best team in the East, and I do have them as the best team in the East and the top of the tiers in the Eastern Conference, I do have to acknowledge that they are also just as susceptible to getting knocked off as any of the lower tiered teams just because, one, the Bucs have a style that eventually stales in the playoffs, and they don't, they haven't shown that their he- their head coach hasn't shown that he can adjust properly to it or adjust defensively also because you saw that the Bucks were just stubborn and didn't want to switch up their coverage a lot against Miami. They allowed a lot of threes and that's just death for good playoff teams that make a lot of good shots that take good shots and their shot chart is great as a team. I guess I'm just not faithful in the fact. I guess I'm just not a believer in Mike Budenholzer anymore. And I'm also still kind of skeptical at the bucks management to keep this team a winner around Giannis for most of his contract and while it is a 5-year extension and bucks fans should be happy there isn't a play out there isn't a opt out until the 2025 season that still doesn't mean Giannis will stay for the duration of his contract and I know Bucks fans would probably hate to hear this, and I know it sounds like I am trying to create just new talking points for ESPN talk shows because I imagine a lot of it dissipated after Giannis put pen to paper uh, this week. But that still doesn't mean he's going to be there for the duration of his contract. Five years is a long time. There's a lot of stuff that could happen between now and then. But I at least, at least for the next like three years. Bucks fans should absolutely be ecstatic that they are able to keep their guy. Going from one superstar situation to another, of course, we got to bring up the James Harden rumors. Harden returned to the team this week, played in the preseason game against the San Antonio Spurs on Tuesday and also played again against the Spurs tonight. There's been a lot of, of stuff coming out especially from the Houston side about what the culture has been like under James Harden ESPN's Tim McMahon who is well connected to all the Texas teams basically basically he's ESPN's Texas basketball correspondent he basically outlined the culture that has been going on in Houston for the last few years and how this basically the gist of the report was James Harden basically getting whatever he wanted, when he wanted. And, you know, there was some stuff in there, like what happened with the Chris Paul thing. Um, James Harden taking practices off ahead of time, especially if there's a road trip to like a big city like LA or New York, knowing that he was going to party the next day or that night and take off practice that day, the next day, and then show up to the game, stuff like that. And I'm just sitting here wondering after the James Harden reports and the big athletic story on the Clippers culture and the preferential treatment that superstars got. I'm just wondering if these reports are actually something or what are the point of these reports after reading them? Yeah, it's good to read. It's it's good stuff to know. You're getting a behind the curtains look. But I see a lot of, you know, oh, this is damning. Uh, People on Twitter reacting like, oh, James is just getting whatever he wants. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard getting preferential treatment. Even though there was maybe a few things in there, I was like, okay, maybe Paul George and Kawhi were abusing the privilege of being a superstar too cavalierly, right? But I'm still sitting here just like, okay, what superstar doesn't get this type of treatment? Also, the stories about James Harden partying, maybe not showing up to practice on time or not showing up altogether, but showing up to games and being durable and playing in every game and dropping 50 points, that sounds a lot like somebody, a basketball player who I don't know might be my favorite player of all time, Allen Iverson. You know, you heard a few stories about his uh night adventures, I will say. And then him showing up the next day to drop 50. And I'm just wondering. Like these are these reports actually something because to me it's like, yeah, no shit star players are going to get treatment. And, you know, I made my jokes and stuff in Twitter. You know, everybody likes to make their jokes on Twitter and I am certainly not one to say that I haven't. I absolutely have. But. To me, these reports are nothing. People are still going to trade for James Harden because James Harden is a tier one franchise player and has finished top three in the MVP voting over the last three years. Is one of the best offensive players ever. Teams are going to trade for that. That's just what it is. And of course, you want to cater to his demands because that guy's a walking playoff berth. James Harden demanding a trade every offseason, like in the ESPN report. Basically saying, build the bet build, keep building a contender around me, or I'm gonna be traded. To me, it's like, yeah, no shit. That's what a superstar should do. Now, maybe there could have been different ways to go about it. And yes, I am not I am not going to defend James Arden going out to party maskless in a pandemic and blowing off Houston Rockets blowing off his new teammates, blowing off new head coach, Steven Silas, who I feel terrible for waiting for this opportunity he has been in the game for 20 years. And then the first thing he has to do on coach media day is deal with this. But in terms of the actual framing of the reporting on the preferential treatment guys like Paul George, Kawhi and James Harden have been getting to me, it, I just don't care. Yeah, you should. I'm not saying capitulate to every demand that they do, because remember, players see the game in a tunnel vision way that maybe somebody from the outside view, well, maybe the outside view doesn't have good internal understanding of what's going on when you're playing on the court. At least they have an outside view and can kind of view what the player is missing big picture wise. You, want to, you you do want to listen to your superstar players when they demand something because they're the superstar. You need superstars to win championships. That has been the history of the league. And I don't know. I just don't think the reports are anything. Now, of course, the rumors are heating up. Harden has expanded his contender list. Whether he wants to go to Miami or Milwaukee, which if you're Milwaukee listening to that I do wonder if the Bucks had enough assets player wise to even trade for Harden but you look at the picks they gave up for Drew Holiday and yes Drew Holiday is a good player the price was still too steep for me now maybe that now you're kind of wondering okay what if we had just waited although the Bucks fans will be happy with Drew Holiday they might be a little bit underwhelmed offensively in terms of his scoring Just speaking honestly, I have somebody who loves Drew Holiday. He's a very, very solid offensive player, can get you 20 points a game, decent passer, but still not somebody you want to run the offense completely through, especially when you have Giannis and Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton, he can ball-handle and create himself, but Giannis as a ball-handler creator, primary ball-handler creator, we saw those ceiling it kind of had in the playoffs. Drew Holiday raises that obviously a little bit. But you just wonder if maybe they're now having a little buyer's remorse now that Harden is on the list of preferred teams. But then, of course, Miami. And it was just funny seeing Heat fans hemming and hawing over Tyler Hero. Don't know how much of it was memes versus actual like, oh, I don't want to trade Tyler Hero in a potential trade for James Harden. you include whatever you can to get James Harden. Like, that's just, if you're the Heat, at least. If you're the Sixers, you're in a more precarious situation because you have Ben Simmons, who is a blue-chip player, an all-star, all-NBA defender, one of the best defenders in basketball, and one of the more special and unique offensive players in the league. You could do a Ben Simmons and James Harden trade straight up, but... There could be more of a case to not trade for Harden than you think. Now, gun to my head, I would trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. Because you would get a championship window that is at least three years, I think. But there is a legitimate case to keep Ben Simmons as well. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but Harden is 31. You do wonder how long the durability will last, especially with his lifestyle and given that he has while he does have while he does have a right to the superstar privileges he's been afforded to he has had tiffs with teammates he wanted he wanted dwight howard dwight howard got shipped out a few years later he wanted chris paul on the team team trades for chris paul james harden gets sick of him not even basically a season later after going to the Western Conference Finals in their first year together. Then he wants Chris Paul out of town. After the 2018-2019 season. Then they trade for Russell Westbrook. Mortgage the future to trade for Russell Westbrook. And I am convinced that was a trade mori didn't want to do. As a matter of fact. ESPN's Tim McMahon once was, has basically been saying for the last two months two and a half months that Harden was the driving force as long along with uh, owner Tillman for Tita to trade away Chris Paul to bring in Westbrook. So who knows who, who was at fault for that trade. But my point is if, a, if the Sixers do a James Harden for Ben Simmons trade, how long is it until Joel Embiid and James Harden get sick of each other? And I love James Harden. I am. I will say it again, I am in the minority when I say that James Harden is one of my favorite basketball players to watch. I love the technician-like approach to his offensive game. I like watching him cook dudes on islands. I like his handle. I think it's underrated. The step-back three is one of the sickest moves in basketball that has ever been created. And honestly... The foul drawing, it can get monotonous at times, but overall, I don't really have a problem with it, especially because there is a genius to the level that he is, there is a genius type quality to the way that he gets to the free throw line and how he exploits the rules and the little advantages of a player. That's a skill and he is a basketball genius. But I still say all that to say that there are issues with trading James Harden. Are you going to re-up on him again after his contract, his current contract expires in two years? Are you going to re-up again for a 33-year-old James Harden? Are you hoping that the James Harden-Joel and Bede duo ages gracefully, especially on Harden's end? Now, Daryl Morey has basically said, especially after the rumors heated up today, which sounds like, honestly, Houston has just been leaking stuff to Shams and Woj. Of course, that's me guessing. I don't have any sources or anything like that. Not yet, anyway. But it sounds like a lot of it is coming from Houston's side. Daryl Morey put out a statement through Shams saying that Ben Simmons is part of the future. He is not going anywhere which has basically been what he is saying steadfastly. Now, there's still a chance that Maury is still playing this up publicly, but he's been playing this up publicly for basically since he got the job in Philly. He has been adamant that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are what he's going to roll with. And he's going with the shooting, putting shooting and ball handling around Simmons and Embiid because that has worked. And I think he is willing to go into the season with that. That doesn't mean that the Sixers still probably won't sniff around. But them in particular, they might have a case to not trade for Harden at all. More than you think. And then, of course, there's the big Brooklyn Nets elephant in the room which I think Harden if anything by the trade deadline he's going to end up a Brooklyn net I don't think they're going to get Kyrie Irving in the deal the Rockets I don't think they're going to get Kyrie Irving back it's probably going to be Lavert, Dinwiddie and a bunch of stuff probably Jared Allen mixed in there maybe but as far as The reports of Harden and the request he's made and stuff like that. Yeah, some of it, it's definitely... Half of it is his own fault. But in terms of, like, preferential treatment and stuff like that, I really don't care about that shit. What is disappointing about this, however, is that... The Rockets were actually... I've been enjoying watching the Rockets during the preseason. And... Especially the first two games against the Bulls. They played against the Bulls where you watched John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins just running pick and roll together. Kentucky fans are just rejoicing everywhere. People who loved college basketball in 2011, 2010, 2009, they're rejoicing because John Wall and Boogie are finally playing together. And it's honestly, it's really fun. Like, I'm not saying the Rockets are going to be a contender or anything, but if James Harden actually decided he wanted to stay in Houston, I think this Rockets team would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch this year. Now, James Harden is one of my favorite players to watch, but you can admit that the Rockets' style, especially last year, did become monotonous, especially after, especially before they traded Clint Capella. And I think after they traded for Clint Capella, the Rockets got more interesting as a team because Westbrook would attack the rim just relentlessly while Harden did his thing on the outside with his isolation plays. But the Rockets are mixing up stuff, not only under the new coach, but with just the personnel they have. John Wall looks like he still has 80% of the burst he had before all the lower extremity injuries started. Now there might be two or three out of five or six times that he still can't blow by somebody like he used to, but there are still, there have been plenty of times this season where, or this preseason so far where I'm like, you know, he's kind of dusting dudes more regularly than I thought. And also Boogie cousins is an interesting player just from the standpoint of he still has offensive skills. He can still shoot the ball. He's an incredible passer, but now he has more space and a actual point guard to work with. Um, that knows him well John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins is well documented they've been great friends forever especially during their time in Kentucky and I think even a boogie that is not obviously what he was in the 2017-18 season before he popped his Achilles He's still a very skilled offensive player that can do things on the court with spacing because you still got Eric Gordon spaced out 30 feet beyond the three-point line. P.J. Tucker is a three-point corner master, a corner three-point shooter. And then, of course, you know, when Harden came back to the Spurs or when Harden came back to the Rockets to play the Spurs this past Tuesday, they were running some organic just two-man, three-man actions. Harden was shooting off ball threes. Harden was spotting up off of a off of wall pick and roll. And that's the other thing too. John Wall is different from Russell Westbrook in the sense Westbrook is the better player especially now at this point in their careers. But I think John Wall does have the edge on Westbrook in the sense that he knows how to play out of pick and roll. He knows all the little tricks like put the put the big that's trailing on the back hip and getting to the rim he's crafty and John Wall is also a very smart player and a very 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 good passer and playmaker and I think that's a little different of an element that the Rockets have that is different from Westbrook who also averaged a lot of assists but I think Wall is more better at the higher reads than Westbrook is Westbrook he is a good passer, but I think a lot of his passes come off of creation and the fact that three dudes collapse on him on the paint at all cost. Wall is a little bit more shifty with his handle, can get to the rim, has a little bit more tricks of the trade, and you could see the organic action that it's creating among the Rockets. And then not to mention, you still have Christian Wood, you're getting... Thick wings like David Nwaba, even though he's coming off of injury. You still have Daniel House, Ben McLemore. Like the Rockets still have good fitting players around Harden. And not only that, John Wall and Boogie. I'm going to be tracking John Wall and Boogie because while they won't be what they once were, obviously. I think John Wall might be able to recoup some of the value on his contract more than I thought he would. I thought that contract was a disaster and I love John Wall. But he is showing me something in this preseason where it's like, okay, there is still a good player in there. He just, I just want to see him sustain it over time. Um, he looks in shape, and there were a bunch of reports saying that John Wall did not look good. People were saying that he, you know, there were reports that Bradley Beal didn't think he worked hard enough in his rehab. That was in The Athletic. But John Wall kind of still looks good to me, and... If Harden was there, they would be so, they would be, the Rockets would be a really fun team to watch. Probably not a deep playoff run type team or a contender, but they definitely be a league pass team for sure. But one of my league pass teams this year, the Hornets, man is LaMelo Ball just fun to watch. And (laughs) I figured he was going to be one of my favorite rookies to watch just because I love Lonzo Ball and I love LaMelo Ball. Um, LaMelo Ball is going to be absolutely better than Lonzo. You could just tell LaMelo belongs out there. Now, he's also still erratic, and he will definitely have head-scratching plays, head-scratching shot selection, but what he has shown so far in the preseason for a high upside prospect like that is that he belongs, and he is already... A top 15 top 20 passer in the NBA some of the passes he had his vision is really otherworldly it's already translated and I have no doubts that it's going to translate in the NBA but the Hornets have really been intriguing to watch I want them me and my co-host for the box out banner podcast Chris Okamura we really want the Hornets to tank again so they can have a shot at Cade Cunningham uh, who is very clearly, I think the number one prospect coming into the 2021 draft. And I'm not just saying that because of a bunch of other draft nerds have been banging the drum since Cade was in high school, but you just watch him and you're just like, okay, yeah, no, this guy's going to be really good. The The knock on him was he needed to figure out his on the movement shooting and off the dribble shooting. It looks like he's figured that out. So I want the Hornets to tank so we can have a LaMelo and Cade backcourt. But unfortunately, the Hornets signed Gordon Hayward to that big contract and he got hurt again. Um, And it doesn't even look like it's going to be the long-term. It doesn't look like it's going to be the long-term finger fracture. But Gordon Hayward is another player that stops the Hornets from tanking. And, um, I just think the Hornets would be better off just playing all their young guys and losing so they could get Cade Cunningham, somebody like Cade Cunningham. These next few drafts are going to be insane, by the way. But PJ Washington at center is already interesting. Miles Bridges as a power forward with his athleticism is also going to be intriguing. Terry Rozier who actually played solid last year, as solid as you could expect. You wonder if maybe he has another leap in him and maybe that contract doesn't look as bad as it first did when he signed it. Devontae Graham, maybe he takes another leap. The Hornets have, the Hornets really have some decent young players on the roster. And I'm excited for their future, especially with Lamelo, because I think he has very high upside. At the very least, you know offensively he belongs as a primary ball handler already, and I know it's just preseason, but he's going to make his mistakes, he's going to fuck up, but that passing is real. And he's made changes, mechanically subtle changes to his shot, especially to his base. His legs aren't flying all over the place, at least to my eye so far this preseason, than it has in his tape overseas. The Ball brothers have good work ethics, man. And you bet on that and you bet on unique outlier abilities. And LaMelo has that with his passing and he has the work ethic, if you can't already tell by Lonzo and, you know, following the Ball family on social media but the Hornets are about to be cool. Like it's 1990 fucking two again. And that's going to be awesome. Other rookies that have stood out to me also so far, Isaac Okoro, shout out to my buddy, Evan Damarell, who covers the Cavaliers. Isaac Okoro has been way better than a lot of Cavs fans thought. He's been shooting well from three. Seems like his shot mechanics have changed. He's the, as advertised defensively, He's obviously going to hit rookie rookie ruts during the season, especially in the shortened season. But Isaac Okoro might just start now, and I don't. On honestly, I don't think there's anybody in the way that could compete for that other wing spot, especially as Kevin Porter Jr. deals with you know his off the court stuff. But Isaac Okoro looks really good, and that is a that that's looking to be if he can at least sustain this type of play for his rookie season, that's going to be a really good pick for the Cavs. Tyrese Halliburton in Sacramento has already shown one that off ball, at least he's going to be an awesome defender on ball. He has incredible feel and then on the ball offensively, he has incredible feel. makes the right reads, the simple reads that shot while it's still awkward he might be able to figure out how to get it get it off quickly more than I thought. There was a shot in the first game against Portland where Halliburton hit a very tightly contested corner three. It was nothing but net. And then in the game tonight against the Warriors, Halliburton hit a – it wasn't a tightly contested three from Stephen Curry, but Steph was closing out on him. And it was after Curry had hit a big three and Halliburton – answered with a corner three as well. Had a nice open court steal against Ken Baysmore after the Warriors got the ball back and were attacking on the other end. And Halliburton might honestly be one of the five best rookies. We might be looking back at this draft and thinking how did Halliburton fall to 12. I think a backcourt of him and Deere and Fox is so intriguing just because it's a yin and yang style of Fox's athleticism and speed and Halliburton's feel and ball handling. And it's just a nice contrasting style because Fox is a point guard can just set the pace and Halliburton while he can run in transition and run alongside Fox. He has more feel craftiness and has a, is a better shooter. So it's a nice mix of skills that I think fit together while also simultaneously maybe covering up flaws that they have. That's just an intriguing backcourt to me for the future. Um, Patrick Williams in Chicago, you know, watching more Bulls preseason games than I thought I would, especially because I've been watching the Rockets. Uh, the, the Bulls played the Rockets twice, and I was watching a bit of the uh, Bulls-Thunder game on rewatch today. Patrick Williams is looking like he might be better off this season more than I thought. That shot looks good. He gets a lot of elevation on that shot and he is a big long athletic defender. If he could just he doesn't even need to put his hands down when contesting. He could just keep his hands straight up and slide his feet like on that one block he got against the Thunder yesterday. There might not be a lot of superstar potential players coming out of this draft class. I do think there are a few that could be a tier two franchise or tier two type of player. There's a lot of good role players, a lot of good solid players that are projected to do well coming out of this draft. We're going to look back on this draft and be like, wow, there was a lot of dudes who had a lot of seven to 10 year careers, almost like, and I think I brought this draft up earlier, almost like the 2006 draft where you had just a bunch of players who ended up with, Eight to 14 year careers. In the 2006 draft, there were 19 players who had an NBA career of seven years or longer, 12 players who had a career that were 10 years or longer. And then, of course, you still have the active NBA players. You know, your PJ Tuckers, your JJ Reddicks, Rudy Gays, Lamarcus Aldridge's of the world. And I have a feel, I have a sneaking suspicion the 2020 draft is going to be like that when we look back on it in, what, 2026 or 2027. One last thing before we go. Of course, we have to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and how I am just ecstatic that we're going to have a team that's going to be watchable again. The first preseason game against the Celtics on Tuesday was absolutely everything I wanted to see from a checkbox, a checkpoint standpoint in that game. Spacing, actions that were ran in the first year of the Simmons and B. duo because we had shooters, Joel Embiid getting single covered on back-to-back possessions because there were there was enough shooting and ball handling on the court that nobody wanted to help off to help out poor old Robert Williams who was, you know, some of it was preseason coverages and probably the Celtics wanted to see how Robert Williams could hold up against Embiid, but also some of it was natural and organic, and that players would try to dig down and dig down on Embiid in the post but they can't leave the shooters that are surrounding Embiid. And then of course Simmons and Embiid lineups with the shooters that worked. Simmons with only shooters that worked, Embiid with only shooters and ball handling that worked. There's a little bit more ball handling on this team that there was in the past. Seth Curry can do it a little bit. You don't want him doing it all the time. Shake Milton He might have a big year, especially now that Dwight Howard is kind of paired with him in the second unit to do screen and roll. Doc Rivers is giving him a lot of freedom. And I am excited for Tyrese Maxey, the 21st pick in the draft, the rookie out of Kentucky. We all know how well prepared Kentucky guys are to be coached at the NBA level, but also how the system typically doesn't show the full skill set of its players, because there's so many good players on the team, and Calipari has a system usually that he likes to run and won't cater that system to his best players. But Maxi has Maxi did stuff in Tuesday's game that I haven't seen a Sixer guard do in three years, outside of six months of Jimmy Butler and two three years of T.J. McConnell as a backup point guard. He dribbled, he dribbled and got to the cup to finish for a layup. He even made some floaters, which, you know, we haven't had a floater guy since Lou Williams and a few other guards that were rotated in the process era. I'm really in on this Maxi kid. He's going to be pushing for minutes immediately because he has a skill set that the Sixers just haven't had a ball handling combo guard that could score can make the simple reads out of a pick and roll and it remains to be seen but he has been doing work on his pull-up jump shot it looked fine in high school he shot 29 percent from three in Kentucky but the shot mechanics look good I just think it's a matter of him getting older and letting his body develop to be able to shoot from that range but he's a workhorse he has the respect of LeBron James Ben Simmons's good friends with him and I'm just excited about Maxie because he adds a dimension from the guard spot the Sixers were hoping probably Markel Fultz would have brought and we all know what happened there but I'm really excited about the Sixers season I think Joel Embiid is going to reestablish himself as a tier one franchise player again I can't wait to reheat an old take that I have about Joel Embiid at the end of the season, you'll hear that take in the Box Out Banter podcast that we're going to record next week. I think Joel Embiid is also going to be in the running for MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. I also, I really think people are underrating the Sixer team now. Well, I don't know if people are underrating it so much because of the season before, and rightfully so. But maybe people are skeptical still of the Simmons and Embiid pairing I'm telling you there is long-standing evidence that Embiid with guards Embiid and Simmons with guards and shooters work and this team makes more sense now even though it might be less talented the fit is superior and I think the Sixers are going to win 47 to 49 games which is the equivalent of a 57 to 50 win season in an 82 game season so watch out for the Sixers So that's all I have for today. Have a Merry Christmas. Everybody enjoy your families. Enjoy the last two weeks of what has been a very strange and fucked up year. It is ending on some high notes. We will be back around New Year's. And until then, deuces.